0: Lord Jesus, we have come to meet with you this morning. We have come to hear from you. God, I pray that we have met with you as we've lifted our voices, as we have partaken in communion. And now as we come to this part of the service, our desire is that you speak to our heart. So come, Lord, speak as only you can. You know where each of us is. You know where each of us is going and exactly what we need. May you speak to our hearts this morning. As always, Father, may you increase and I decrease this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we have been walking through the book of Mark, and I there's been some comments made about how long it's taken, and you're not wrong. Uh, I went back and looked. We started in August of 2020, uh, so... Well done. You've stuck with it. And uh, Lord willing, we will be done before the end of 2021. So that's not bad. 16 chapters, right? Amen. Move it along, Pastor. So we find ourselves in Mark 14. Uh, We are at Jesus' final day of ministry leading to the cross. A couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, what some call the Last Supper. I like to call the First Communion. Uh, Last week, we looked at at Peter walking with his disciples and and telling them, you're all going to scatter. You're all going to run away from me. Telling them he he knows what's coming. And he actually, if you remember last week, he pulls Peter aside and he goes, look, Peter, the enemy has asked to sift you like wheat, to shake you and see what falls out. But I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Jesus, even knowing that he's going to be betrayed, still puts his arm around Peter Look, Peter, I know what's coming, but I'm praying for you. And so we find ourselves now, they they have left the first communion. They have been walking to a, a very familiar place for them in the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we pick up in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. Then he said to them, "'My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. "'Remain here and stay awake.' Then he went a little further and he fell to the ground and he began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, "'Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. "'Take this cup away from me. "'Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will.' Then he came and found them sleeping. "'Simon, are you sleeping?' he asked Peter. "'Couldn't you stay awake one hour?' Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same thing. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. Look, the son of man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See my betrayer. Is near. As, as I've been reading this, this is a pretty popular uh, passage of Scripture. This is one that a lot of people know well. We, we find recorded uh, in some of the other Gospels an even longer account of it. And even to the point where Jesus praying so hard that, that he begins to sweat blood. Uh, it, this is a really intense time for our Lord and right before his betrayal leading right into his greatest betrayal. But as I read this over and over again this week uh, in preparing for this, the, the Lord kind of gave me a, a different lens uh, to view this story through, uh, different than one that I would normally do, use, different than one that I've heard taught on before. Uh, and so we're gonna take this, we're gonna, we're gonna look at this story through the lens I believe the Lord has given me. So I'd ask you just to follow along. If it's different than where you've heard this go before, stick with me. The Lord has given me the lens of influence as I read through this. I think that there's there's many things that we could learn from this story, from, from Jesus crying out to his father, and we're going to look at some of those. But I think there's something about the way that Jesus approached life and ministry that is illustrated in this story. It's illustrated in some other places as well, but it just kept coming back to me. This illustrates the way that Jesus approached his life and ministry, the influence that he desired to have on those around him. We talk talk about this uh, sometimes using the term circles of influence. If you think about it in terms of like a bullseye, the center most, the bullseye, is the one that gets the most time and attention, the most influence. And as you go out into different circles, less intentional influence uh, is placed on those. And we see this as you look at the life of Jesus. As Jesus was walking through his three and a half years of ministry, there was times when there were thousands that were following Jesus. Think of this outermost circle, thousands of people who heard that he was in their area and who flocked to where he was. They got to hear him speak. They got to witness his public ministry. Some of them were actually healed by him. Some of them may have had demons that were cast out. Some of them were there at the Sermon on the Mount, the story that would get told again and again. And they got to go, I was actually there. I, I saw him. But how much intentional time did Jesus spend with the thousands? How much was his focus on, I have to gather these thousands so that I can really change their lives. There was times of it, right? But actually what we find in Jesus' life is as the thousands would gather, typically something would happen where Jesus would go, time to disband them. And sometimes he would get up early in the morning and he would just leave them. And whole towns and villages are clamoring for more of Jesus because of what he did yesterday. And he just says, my father's calling me to the next place to preach the kingdom, that's why I came. And he would leave the thousands and move on. Sometimes the thousands were there and Jesus would go, it's time for a hard teaching to see who really sticks. And so in one instance, they're following him because he has just done the fishes and loaves miracle and their bellies are full and they're going, let's see what he's going to do for us today. And he turns and goes, oh, you're hungry. Let me tell you what it is to follow me. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says immediately, the thousands all fell away. Jesus wasn't in this to get the most followers. He wasn't, he didn't approach it like we do today. Have you guys heard, there's a new term, our younger generations are already hip to these. Some of us, older generations, I'm creeping up there with you, may not have social media influencers. You know what that? you know what that is? Nod of heads. Yeah, yeah. For those who may not yet, people who are famous for doing Nothing. Uh, People who are famous just because they got a lot of followers on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, on whatever, they don't really, they're not really doing anything, but they have big followers and big followings, and so we call them influencers because they start to influence culture. Jesus actually did it the exact opposite way. When the crowd would get too big, he'd go, time to give them something hard. Time to see who's here for the right reasons, and most often what he found is most of them were not. But there were thousands who were influenced by Jesus, but not because he was walking in going, I gotta gotta get time with them. I gotta gather them all together and make sure they all hear this. He was just kind of living his life out loud and they happened to gather around. And so he would teach them. But when you move in from thousands, you then get hundreds. There was typically about 140 or so people who were pretty regularly with Jesus. Like, and they were actually hands-on in his ministry. That A lot of them actually supported Jesus in his ministry. Uh, we're told in a couple different places in the Gospels that there was especially uh, some rich women who were in this group who, who walked around with Jesus and were part of this 140, and, and they actually supported him. They made sure that things were taken care of for him. They got to see a lot more of what was going on. Jesus lived a little more intentionally with them because they were always there. They were working to support him and he would spend some time, you know, knowing that they're there. But again, it was, he wasn't going this 140, I got to gather them every chance I get. And I got to, it was too big. Jesus knew if I focus on a a group, even this big, there's not enough of me to go around. They're going to miss it. And I'm not going to have the impact and the influence that I'm called to have there's these 140, you come down into another circle inside and you get the 72. These were actually the followers of Jesus. These these went with him pretty much everywhere. There was always kind of a a larger crowd around him and these actually got to participate in ministry with Jesus. Uh, There's the spot when Jesus sends them out two by two. He commissions out his followers to go and do ministry just like he's been doing. And he sends 72 people, out two by two, so in 36 different directions. They got a map out and they circled a bunch. This is yours, this is yours, 32 different places. And Jesus actually commissioned them and said, go in my power. And then they came back and Jesus created space to hear their stories and to talk with them. And they're like going, Jesus, we, we cast out demons. We healed the sick. We, it was crazy. And he creates space to kind of, to coach them on how to do this ministry and to teach them. They actually got to participate in ministry with Jesus, but were they his main focus? Were they the ones that he literally took with him everywhere that he made sure saw a little bit behind the curtain? No, there was the 12, his 12 disciples. He actually actively and intentionally called them to himself. These weren't people that just kind of happened to find Jesus. And he went, yeah, stick around, see what happens. These 12 were were people that through prayer, Jesus said, I'm calling you. I'm intentionally seeking you out because I want to have influence in your life. They used the term rabbi and disciples. This was a a common thing. This wasn't like just Jesus had his disciples. Every rabbi at the time had disciples. And these were handpicked people that the rabbi said, come and do life with me in the hopes that you become like me. I want to influence the way you see the world around you. I want to influence the way that you respond to the world around you. I want to influence who you are. And the rabbis would go and they would call the disciples to them, handpicked. And the whole purpose was that the disciple would come out looking like the rabbi on the other end. They were given unprecedented access to the rabbi. They would hear things no one else would hear. They would get to see things no one else would see. They would get to see the rabbi behind the closed doors. And man, how did he respond? Where was he strong? Where was he weak? They were allowed in to every part of the rabbi's life. But then we look at Jesus, and and something we see illustrated here in this story is then there was the three. Who were the three in Jesus' life that, that got to see even more, that got to be even closer, that didn't just get a peek behind the curtain, but lived behind the curtain with him? Who were those three for Jesus? Peter, James, and John. Who went up on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus while the rest of the disciples had to make base camp down at the bottom? Peter, James, and John. Who got to hear God speak from the cloud and see Jesus in his glory, shining to the point where they fell on the ground like they were dead and they were terrified. Who got to see that? Peter, James, and John. Then they came to a place place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified, and he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Jesus let those three in deeper than he's let anyone else in. The, the other nine were probably going, oh, we've been here to pray before. He said some weird things today and he seems a little on edge, but they were out at like the entrance to the garden, not really seeing what's happening in there and just going, they probably took a nap and Jesus didn't come out to them and go, hey, how come you nine aren't awake? They were there. They saw, yep, he's going to pray again. It's what he does. you know. And they probably said, we should pray more. We don't pray enough like him. But he brought the other three in. And he began to be distressed and horrified. And he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. They got to see more of Jesus than anyone else. Jesus allowed them in more than anyone else. Why? to have even greater influence on those three, that those three could see what it was to be Jesus. If we're going to have kingdom influence in our lives, the kind of kingdom influence that he calls his disciples to have, we can't get it twisted. Again, looking at the way that the world approaches influence, power, authority, whatever word you want to use for it, it goes for the big crowd. If you can get more people to read your book, to follow your blog, to to friend you on Facebook, to follow you on TikTok or Instagram, the more you can get the greater influence you have and Jesus says you're missing it. Actually, the bigger following you have, the more distracted you will become. Jesus has touched billions of lives throughout human history And he did it how? By focusing on the thousands or by focusing on 12 and even three? He said, it's better for us to go deeper with these three and with these 12 than to focus on gathering the bigger crowds that we can. The Father will do more through three deeply changed and transformed individuals than he will with a thousand onlookers who are kind of fans from a distance. This is very un American. This is a difficult one for us. Even when we think about church, we think bigger church is better and healthier church, typically. I would push back. What if the Lord called us to actually grow smaller and more potent so that He could do more through us? We naturally chase the big crowds and we miss Jesus' model. So I want to do something. I want to make this as practical as I can this morning. Can I ask you two to hand out? Just make sure everybody gets one of these. Um, Hey, Brian. Can you make sure? And if you need a pen, uh, if you could let Brian know, he'll make sure you have a pen. Thank you, sir. Chris, would you put the... The diagram up on the slide. What's being passed out to you right now is a very simple diagram. A couple concentric circles with some blank lines in it. I want us to stop and think about our circles of influence. Again, Jesus didn't just happen to find himself in this situation with these 12 guys and man three he just really clicked with. He was incredibly intentional about who he surrounded himself with, about who he chose to spend his influence on. And if we're going to have the kind of influence he calls us to, that, that he desires for us, I think we need to be as intentional. And so uh, don't start filling it out yet. If maybe you've seen one of these before, you, you just get antsy and you got to start writing, don't start filling it out yet. We're going to kind of work through this together. If you got extras, just go ahead and drop them up here. Did everybody get a worksheet or anyone that needs a pen? Everybody got a pen? Okay. So, here's what I'm gonna say. We're gonna start at the center and work our way out. The way most of us approach life, we start out and work in. What's the problem with starting on the outside and working in? Confusion. Confusion. Typically what we do is we go, hey, who's around? Okay, there's this crowd around. I guess I'll just be friends with them or whatever, and it can get really confusing. We're not sure why we're there. What happens as we start to work our way in? When you start from the outside, she said. Go ahead. What you say? You can start on the outside, work in. It's going to be. It's going to reveal something to you. Go ahead. What were you saying, Tim? Okay, There's a danger without being intentional about this or whatever, you're just being surrounded or influenced by whoever just happens to be around you instead of maybe the other way around. I guarantee you this, if you just start on the outside and start working your way in, you'll get to the middle and you go, oh no, there's not enough room for some people that really need to be on there. I put people on the outside that probably shouldn't have been there. They're more fringe maybe But their names came to my head, and I just started there. And by the time we get inside, we go, there's no room for my family. Oops. But that's very telling about how most of us approach life. Who happens to be around me? It's kind of just this happenstance thing. And man, the ones that are closest to us, the ones that should be getting the most influence, all of a sudden we find, "Uh uh-oh, there's no room. I don't have any time left. I don't have any energy left. I'm so tired by the time I get home. And those that deserve the best get the leftover because we started in the wrong place. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna be very intentional. We're gonna start in the middle. Now, listen, we've got different life situations here. We've got married, we've got single, we've got high school, we've got adult. Who goes in the middle? You need to influence Jesus? No. This is who you have influence on. Jesus is good, okay? He's all right without us. Who goes in the middle? Family? You. You go in the middle. Who do you have the most influence of over anyone in this world? Yourself. Who, who do you have the greatest responsibility to have influence over? Yourself. A- another way to look at this is as you start in the center and work your way out, there's a responsibility piece to it. The closer someone is to the center the more God-given responsibility I have to influence their lives, the more ability, but also responsibility I have. So you go in the center, next step out, what do we got four there? Who are the next four people? You don't, don't shout them out, write them down. Who are the next four people that God has given you the greatest responsibility and opportunity to have influence over? I will, as you're writing, if you are married and have children, your spouse and children need to be in this circle. If you, I'm sorry, Steve. I know you said you love all your kids the same, but no, if you, if you need to kind of draw some lines in or whatever, because you just have a, a big family, that's okay. If you're single. Man, who are who are the friends, the coworkers, or whatever that God has given you the greatest responsibility and opportunity to have influence over? Write those names in. Now let's move to the outside. And, it, and this doesn't—you're ha- not turning this in, you know, when I'm done here. So if you're just kind of getting started, and you need to think on this a little more later. That's okay. Take it home with you. Who goes on the outside? Who are the friends, the coworkers, workers uh, the neighbors, the, the classmates, whatever it may be, that God has, is giving you the greatest responsibility and opportunity to have influence on? And this is where things can get a little dicey, because we could expand this circle out quite a bit, because there's, there's a lot of people I work with. I have a lot of neighbors. There's a lot of friends. And this is why Jesus, before he chose his disciples, he spent the night in prayer. Lord, would you lead me to who the people are you're causing me to have the greatest influence over? So again, if you're, if you're not sure, if there's a couple that you're like, oh, it could be him, could be her, wait, pray over them later. So as you start to look at this filling out, you start to have a better idea of this filling out, now comes the hard question. Does your life actually match it? Do the people closest to the center get the best of you? Do they get the greatest access to you or do they get what's left over? Because work is really hard and by the time I get home, I just got nothing left. I just want to sit on the couch and veg. Because man, my weekends, those are times for me and I, those are times when I want to go do what I want to do. Again, this is a responsibility piece. Are the ones closest to the center, are they actually the ones that you are most intentional with, that you exercise the greatest influence over, or do we get so spent starting on the outside that there's nothing left for those in the middle? And and let me tell you, especially in, in a messed up way, something that a Christian worldview has done to us is we feel guilty about spending time influencing the person in the center, ourselves, because isn't that just being selfish? Shouldn't I just give everything away to everybody else? Isn't that what Jesus would have done? We find all throughout scripture, and we're gonna look at one tonight, or uh, excuse me, this morning, where Jesus spends time making sure that he's in the position he needs to be in. He cares for himself because he knows and he teaches, without that, he's got nothing left to give everybody else how do you spend time influencing yourself this is i actually want you to share this with me maybe not how do you maybe you maybe it's a how should you if you're kind of recognizing boy some of these things don't match how can we spend time influencing ourselves reading books and Okay. okay, reading books on growth. Does that just mean Christian books, Shirley? No. Not necessarily. R- reading, reading books that are gonna help you kind of grow in certain areas where you realize that you're weak. That's a great way to do it. How else? How do we spend time influencing ourselves? Music, Music? okay. Part of it is just being very aware uh, that we used to do something with the youth group called Garbage In, Garbage Out just being very aware that what I take in is what comes out of me. You eat a bunch of junk food, what comes out of you? Whoa, gross, don't talk about that. (laughs) You start to reflect what you take in, right? It works the same in every area of our life, be it music, uh, movies, the, the internet, whatever it is, what you take in, being aware, is what comes out. So leading yourself, influencing yourself, Is what I'm putting in helping me become the person God is calling me to be? Or am I just hoping it doesn't impact me too much? It doesn't influence me too much. It's a good one. What else? Yeah. Yeah, your time uh, spent with the Father prayer in Scripture, even things like small group coming to church, uh, spending time just just praising the Lord and singing and all of these things are you influencing yourself. You reminding yourself, here's what's most important. Putting yourself in a position to be influenced by the Father. This is actually the point, the best use of all of our influence as you look at all the names on your circle, yeah, there may be some things you can teach them about how to be a better leader or how to be better at business or how to be better in some of these other areas. And those are good things. But the best use of your influence with yourself and others is to help put people in a position to be influenced by the king. Am I leading myself Toward the king, putting myself under the, I think of like the old hymns, come thou fount, this fountain pouring down. Am I putting myself under the fountain so that I can spend time with him and become like him? Or am I kind of letting myself wander or even actively leading myself away? As I influence others, as I think about my children, like I want them to be successful members of society. And I want them to be good at school and I want them to have... uh, good jobs and financial stability and all of these are good things. We shouldn't skimp on those things. But the primary thing, am I putting my children in a position? Am I influencing them toward being influenced by the king? Am I I living it out in front of them as Jesus did with his disciples? They would see him get up early and go pray. Here in the garden, they see him going in and falling down and crying out to the Lord. He's modeling it for them. He actually teaches them how to do it, the Lord's Prayer. He he empowers them to go and do it, as he sends out the 72, to go and do the ministry of the kingdom. All of this is putting them in a position where they can better hear from the king, where they can better be influenced by the king to become like the king. So this silly little worksheet can be a great reminder to go, okay, I have greatest responsibility and influence over myself. How am I using it? If my wife and kids are on here, or maybe your husband or wherever you are, whoever is in the next circle, if those are the people God's given me the greatest responsibility to influence, how am I using that influence? Or maybe even am I? And it works its way out from there. There are some people where you go, you know what? I'm spending too much time and energy trying to influence this person out on the fringe And I'm actually robbing the people that need it more. And that's not a harsh thing to say. That's an intentional use. We all only have so much time and energy and we need to be using it in very intentional ways. So we see Jesus doing this with himself, leading himself. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death, remain here and stay awake. Then he went a little further, fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So let, me, let me start by asking this question. What was Jesus deeply distressed and horrified by? What what was it that deeply distressed and horrified Jesus? Scholars have asked this question a lot, because there's quite frankly a lot of different directions you could go. What are your thoughts? What was it that distressed and horrified him? There's this spiritual component to everything that Jesus was going through where He, he looked and he goes, I know what happens tomorrow everything that happens tomorrow. But some would say the the greatest point of stress for Jesus was for the first time in history, actually even before history began, he was going to be separated from his father. We're going to talk about this more as we get to the points of the story where Jesus is actually on the cross. But Jesus knew tomorrow for the first time ever, the father's going to turn his back on me. He would become, as, as the scripture say, he would become sin for us that we would receive the righteousness of God. And, and this, I'm sure, in Jesus, horrified him. But didn't he know it was coming? Didn't, didn't he actually sign up for it in the first place? Wasn't this his plan? So how was he distressed and horrified? <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Doesn't mean it's going to be fun. He knew what he was signing up for, but here's the thing. Sometimes we, we turn Jesus, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. So we turn him into this superhuman, which he kind of was. Jesus was bad at math in terms of this. 100% plus 100% equals what? 200%. Yeah, not when he does the math. It equals 100%. He was 100% man and 100% God. Fully man to experience everything we experience and fully God the man side of him was crying out to his father, I don't want to do this. I know this needs to happen, but if there's any other way, if there's a plan B, maybe something we didn't talk about when I was still up in heaven, maybe now's the time. You you see the man in Jesus going, I don't want to go through this. And, And I think there's also the physical piece. Do I think Jesus was looking forward to having his beard torn out to being constantly struck with fists and with sticks, a crown of thorns, to be flayed with whips and nailed to a cross. Do I think he was looking forward to that in any way? No. I I, I think, again, Jesus fully manned. There was part of him going, God, I don't want to do any part of this. But I do believe the thing that was causing the most stress, the thing that he was truly horrified over was a broken relationship with the Father. I am going to have to, tomorrow, experience what they have been living with every day of their lives. And I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to be separated from you. I will do anything not to be separated from you. But then comes the greatest example of a kingdom posture and a kingdom prayer that we have in all of Scripture. But not my will, Lord, but yours be done. What I want doesn't matter. What you want is all that counts. Jesus was putting himself in a position through hours of prayer, sweating blood, to go, would you have influence over me, Father? Would my will become your will? Would you bring them into alignment? If there's any places where what I want is different from what you want, may your will be done. May you have influence and sway in my life that your will would be lived out through me. May your will win out over any other influence in my life, even including my own, Father. And his disciples are supposed to be seeing this. But then he came and he found them sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping, he asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same thing. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's easy to read this and go, boys, come on. The third time you still fell asleep let 's cut them some slack. This is the middle of the night, and these are hours at a time. I would be incredibly <laughs> struggling to stay awake. most of us would struggle mightily it's been a long day they've been confused they've been they've celebrated the Passover man that wasn't the Passover they were expecting, Jesus flipped the script on them. And then there start to be some of these accusations where Jesus is going, I know what's gonna happen. You're all gonna leave me. And they're kind of defending themselves and fighting. They're tired and they fall asleep. But Jesus' admonition to them, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter in temptation, Peter. Your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, I know you want it but wanting it isn't enough. I've heard your spirit all day. When Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, talking about Judas in Mark 14. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, I assure you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one by one, surely not I. Lord, like Peter's heart was to follow him. His spirit was willing. Lord, I will never betray you. And then Jesus says, all of you are going to scatter and leave. And Peter told him, even if everyone runs away, I will certainly not. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Peter's spirit was willing, but Jesus was looking at Peter and going, wanting it isn't enough. Just wanting it to be true doesn't cut him. Peter desired to walk with Jesus wherever that would lead him, but he had not put himself in a position to follow Jesus. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter wasn't taking the necessary steps to do the good that his heart desired. Your spirit is willing. You want to do this, but Peter, I'm telling you, you're not strong enough. And so what does he want him to do? What does he tell him to do? Pray. Put yourself under the fount, Peter. Spend time with the Father. Allow him to strengthen you because just wanting it to be true isn't enough. And I'm telling you, Peter, you're not strong enough. Go and pray. Strengthen yourself, Peter. Lead yourself, Peter. Pray so that you won't enter into temptation. And Jesus was modeling what it takes to fight off the temptation that Peter would face. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Peter, this is the prayer you need to be praying. Peter, you need to be falling on your face, sweating, working at prayer. Because just wanting it's not enough. I've told you temptation is coming. I've told you what will happen. And Peter thought that he could just yell loud enough, that he could just want it bad enough. And Jesus was telling him, lead yourself, Peter. Put yourself under the fountain. Get in the presence of the king so that he can give you the strength you need to do the good that is in your heart. But we see that Peter lovable Peter falls asleep again and falls asleep again. And we know what happens next. Last week, we looked at what happens next. Everything Peter desperately wants not to be true comes to pass. He scatters and leaves his Lord in handcuffs. He denies that he's ever even seen the man before. And his heart is grieved and filled with sorrow because he didn't put himself in a position. He didn't lead himself well to do the things that he wanted to be true. Jesus was modeling what it takes to allow the Lord full influence in your life. He modeled not only the conviction that the Lord's will should be done above his own, but he also took the steps to see that the Lord's will was done above his own. It's easy to go, man, Jesus could have just walked in blindfolded and done the crucifixion thing because he was God. But we see that Jesus saw that like, man, what I want is out of line with what the Father wants. I need to go and do as much work and spend as much time as necessary until my will becomes his will, until his will is done over my will. He didn't just rest on his laurels and go, yeah, but I wanted it. He put in the work, and he called his disciples to do the same. It takes time with the Father, giving him access to our hearts, our fears, our joys, seeking his will and asking his will to be done in our lives. This will not happen naturally. You have to exercise influence over your own life. Those that you love that are closest to you, you need to influence them in this direction. This is the call that God has placed on each and every one of us. And it's not going to happen by accident. So let me close just by asking these two questions. Who are you spending your influence on? Is it getting spent on those that God has not called you to simply because they're at work and so it, it all just comes out on them and by the time you get home, there's nothing left. Are the ones who need it most from you the last to get it from you? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you influencing yourself well? Or is there just nothing left? Who are you spending your influence on? And who has the greatest influence in your life? Is it truly the Lord? We want it to be true. But to actually ask that question, does what he say hold sway in my life? Does his truth trump everything else? Does what he has called me to and spoken to me, does that beat what I want every time? The answer is no, because we're frail human beings and we will choose sin. But in those times, how do we pick ourselves back up and lead ourselves back onto the fountain again? Who has the greatest influence in your life? Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, we want to be good stewards of the influence that you've given us, of the time and energy that you've given us. But just wanting it doesn't make it so. May you, through loving conviction and discipline, Lead us, God, to be people that lead ourselves well, that lead our friends and families well, that spend our time and energy wisely and in the right places. Because one day we will give an account for those that you've given us to have influence over. And we don't want to say, well, sorry, Lord, I was just too busy. Well, sorry, Lord, that was just too hard. Lord, would you bring to light those places in our lives, those areas where what we want is different from what you want, where the way that we have ordered life is different from the way that you've called us to order life. And may we in humility come before you, fall on our faces and say, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, that sounds hard. That sounds like it's going to hurt. If there's another way, can we do that? But in the end, God, not my will but your will be done in my life and in the lives of those around me. So Jesus, as we we lead ourselves well and as we put ourselves under the fountain, as we begin to be filled with you, to look like you, to live like you, to minister like you, may it overflow onto those that you've placed closest to us. May they see it in us and desire it. May they see your love poured out on them through us and may they be drawn in I pray. Not your or not my will, excuse me, but your will be done, Father. In Jesus name. Amen.